Welcome to the preaching podcast of Life Point Church. We're so glad you've joined us here. If you're ever in the Baton Rouge area, please stop by. We'd love to meet you. For more information on our church or Pastor Donovan, please visit our website at golifepoint.com. We are so honored that we have a special speaker uh, that is joining us, uh, Brother Robert Martin. We're so happy that you're here. That you're here. If you're, um, he is no stranger to LifePoint. He has blessed LifePoint several times. He has spoken a very special word over this church before. So once again, we are so happy that you are here. Trust me, you're in for a great uh, uh, message tonight. So Brother Martin, Thank you. come on up and bring the word. Thank you again. Thank you and praise the Lord, everyone. Let's give the Lord a great praise, would you? Let's clap our hands and magnify him. Surely the Lord is in this place. Surely the Lord is in this place, and uh, appreciate the singers, musicians, the wonderful job of creating an atmosphere of worship in which the Lord has moved, and I'm excited to be with you. I appreciate your pastor. He's a friend of mine. I'm not nearly as cool as he is, but I appreciate him, and I, I love him. So I did text him and said I didn't wear a tie tonight, so he said, welcome to the club, so... Anyway, I, I do uh, certainly appreciate your, your pastor and his family. What a wonderful family, and you are so blessed. You're so blessed to uh, have uh, their uh, very anointed and unique uh, leadership, and I appreciate that. Some good friends. Good to see some friends here tonight as well, and I'm glad that, that you are here with us. So I want to get right into the word of the Lord. I do feel the Lord has given me a word to share for you tonight, and uh, I didn't... I just dig this out. I ask God to give me something for this time, for this season, and specifically for this church. So I, I want to open my heart to you and share this word. I'm turning to a, a book in just a moment. Uh, Pastor told me he's been still, uh, I believe, teaching from Hosea. And uh, so y'all have been in the uh, Minor Prophets for a long time because last time I came, you were still doing that, and I preached from Hosea. So I don't know if I fired him up to preach from Hosea. I don't know. but uh, So I'm going to go to another book, and that is the book of Lamentations. Lamentations. It's not preached from an, a whole lot, but I want to preach from there the word of the Lord tonight. So in your Old Testament, you have Isaiah, Jeremiah, and then a small book of five chapters tucked in between Jeremiah and Ezekiel. It's the Lamentations of Jeremiah. So I'm going to begin by reading one verse, then I'll let you be seated and I'll carry on from there. Lamentations 1 and 1. That's a good place to start. How doth the city sit solitary that was full of people? How is she become as a widow? She that was great among the nations and princess among the provinces. How is she become tributary? Lord, I'm asking you to anoint your word, that you'd anoint my heart, my mind, my spirit, and that you would let our hearts be melted together in unity, that we would receive what you would speak in this moment. God bless this people, I pray, in Jesus' name. You may be seated. I don't know if you've spent a lot of time in lamentations because typically people don't want to lament, focus on lamentation. 
But if you were to take just a few minutes to read this short book of five chapters, you will find several things that are very unique and telling in this book. Again, it is the Lamentations of Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, who is writing on the occasion of the destruction of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the holy city of God, the mother of us all, that to the Jews represented the best of all of us and in all of us, the city that they longed for and built and loved, and even to this day, they cherish and love the city of Jerusalem. And in this time, after they had finally arrived into the promised land, settled it, established it, had several kings and queens throughout their history. Then because of their disobedience, they were taken into captivity. And when they were taken into captivity, Jerusalem by the Babylonians, you go from a wonderful, festive city to total ruin. You go from bright, brilliant light to great darkness. And the writing of Jeremiah is so poetic. If you are, if you are into Shakespeare, as, as I am, you can see so much of this tragedy that's upon the heart of Jeremiah. We can take the lesson collectively as a nation, as a church, as a family, and even personally in your individual lives. The questions are, how did we get here? And the grief is so overwhelming. What was so beautiful is now dead. Notice the poetic description of woe. And I'm going to read just a few of these, these verses throughout chapter 1 scattered around. But listen to what the man is saying about what is lost. Again, verse 1, how the city sits solitary. That was full of people. She's become as a widow. She that was great among the nations, now she has become tributary. She weepeth sore in the night, and her tears are on her cheeks. Among all her lovers, she hath none to comfort her. All of the ones and nations that she reached out to to help her, they, none of them can help her. All of her friends have, have dealt treacherously with her. They are become her enemies. Judah is gone into captivity but because of affliction. Because of great servitude, she dwelleth among the heathen. She findeth no rest. All her persecutors overtook her between the straits. The ways of Zion do mourn because none come to the solemn feasts. So now nobody's coming to worship and nobody's in the solemn feasts. And all the gates are desolate. The gates of the city that were so full of activity, now there's nothing there. The priests sigh. Her virgins are afflicted, and she is in bitterness. Her adversaries are of the chief. Her enemies prosper, for the Lord hath afflicted her for the multitude of her transgressions. Her children are gone into captivity before the enemy. And from the daughter of Zion, all her beauty is departed. Her princes are become like hearts that find no pasture, and they are gone without strength before the pursuer. Jerusalem remembered. In the days of her affliction. And he goes on to speak about how they grievously sinned. The filth 
the filthiness in her skirts and the adversary has spread out his hand upon him and all the people sigh. First we, we find the word sigh in here is exasperation. The priests sigh. The people sigh. As if how in the world did we possibly get to this point where it's this bad? How did we get this bad? How, how is it possible that we as the people of God have arrived at a place where everything is lost and everything is bleak and in despair? Here we are. One would think every letter was written with a tear. Every word is the sound of a breaking heart. No wonder he's the weeping prophet because he's compacted with sorrows. It sounds like one who never breathed but in sighs and no, nor spoke but in a groan. And all the expressions and images of sorrow are here exhibited in various combinations and various points of view. Just over and over he's, he's putting words together to try to somehow let them know how sorrowful the people are and how bad everything is. Misery has no expression that the author of Lamentations has not employed. He finds the words. He puts it together so poetically. And you find throughout chapter 1, throughout chapter 2. I'm going to preach a few minutes on this thought. In the midst of Lamentations. In the midst of lamentation. Because when you read chapters 1 and 2, it is as bleak as possible. When you read chapters 4 and 5, it's as bleak as possible. But yet right in the middle of it. Right in the middle of lamentation. Right in the book, in the middle of the book of lamentation, we see something. How can it be any worse? How can we recover? How can we survive? You won't find a bleaker biblical situation or narrative than you find in the book of Lamentations. Yet, in the midst of it, you know from the other uh, prophets that you've been studying that so much that everything's horrible, that how te terrible everything is. And here he's saying it. In the, but yet, in the midst of it, in the middle of it, in the middle of lamentation, we read words that are just as amazing to the other extreme. How in the world can you find hope in this? How in the world can you find hope when it's like this, desolate? In your own lives, before I get to those verses, in our own lives we deal with lamentation. Have you ever been to a place where you said, how did I get to this place? Have you ever faced something that just, just tore at your soul? I can see sometimes why those prophets, why they rent their clothes. And that's not, that's not making money off of them. They're tearing them. Just rent, rending their clothes. And sitting in sackcloth and ashes from a great high point of praise to the, to the depth of depravity and despair. How, how do you get from here to here? How do you get there? And, and when you get there, what can you do about it after you are there? And I would say to you, in my life I've faced moments like that. I've faced times with my hand on my boy when he had cardiac arrest, begging God to please take me and let him live. And thankfully he did let him live. And I'm still here for a little while anyway. 
There's been times in our lives where we don't know how, how did this happen and, and the pain in our hearts that we deal with. Pain of separation and families and a divorce and children going awry and all the things that we deal with. And, and, and it brings us to a point and we look back to a time when we shouted. Now we look to a time when we doubted. How do you get to that place? And what do you do about it when you get in that place? But I want to tell you in the midst of my lamentation, in the midst of your lamentation, and right in the middle of when it seems to be worse, when the doctor gives you no hope, when the counselor doesn't have the words to string together, and everything seems to be lost. You don't have money to pay certain things, and there's a breach between you and a loved one, and all the things that's happened. You say, how, how can it possibly be that I'm here, and what can I do about it but right in the middle of it right in the middle of your lamentation there is something that springs up right in the middle of these five chapters that would be chapter three in the midst of lamentation in the middle of lamentation we have chapter three chapter three in chapter three hope rises from the ashes it doesn't seem possible that the hand that wrote chapters 1 and chapter 2 and the hand that wrote chapters 4 and chapter 5 could possibly have written chapter 3. It's got to be somebody else that jumped in the middle of it. But no, I'm preaching to you about chapter 3 tonight. I'm preaching to you about in the middle of lamentation. When all seems to be lost and it's the worst possible nightmarish hell that you're going through, there's a chapter 3. There's a chapter 3. Are you hearing me? There's a chapter 3 for you. There's a chapter 3. And it reads like this. So again, all of these horrible things that are going on. Sighing, sighing, sighing. Everything's terrible. But in Lamentations chapter 3, beginning at verse 21, you see this. This I recall to my mind. Therefore have I hope. How, Jeremiah, can you get up out of the ashes? And write these words. Therefore I have hope it is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because His compassions fail not. You hear it? Go to the next verse please. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. How do you get in the middle of your lamentations? Hope that begins to spring up. Verse 26. It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. He sitteth alone and keepeth silence because he hath borne it upon him. He putteth his mouth in the dust. If so be there may be hope. He giveth his cheek to him that smiteth him. He is filled full with reproach. 31. For, I, for the Lord will not cast off forever. Verse 32. But though he cause grief, yet will he have compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. And the last verse. 
For he doth not afflict willingly, nor grieve the children of men. There is a prayer that opens chapter 3 in your life. If anybody here is tonight is in the midst of lamentation, right in the middle of it, God can speak hope when it seems to be hopeless. I'm telling you, we're doing a lot of prayer. There's all kinds of things happening in our world, yea, in our country, in our community, in our own lives, in our own hearts. There are so many things that we cannot understand, that we cannot ascertain, that we cannot determine. But I'm telling you, in the midst of lamentation, in the midst of whatever chaos in all of its all of its disguises is going on in our country. I am telling in the midst of that, there is hope that is springing up in the midst of lamentation. And I want you to know not only is it universal in our country, but it's also personal in your lives. I don't know all of your stories. I don't know all of your history. I don't know what chapter you're in right now. You may be in chapter 1, verse 1. But I am telling you, as you are writing the sordid chapters of despair in your life, God is getting ready to let you pin chapter 3. There's a chapter 3 that's about to be written in your life, in your heart, in this church. Can you hear me? There's a chapter 3 of hope in the midst of desperation, in the middle of lamentation, in the midst of lamentation. God is going to spring forth something that grows up in the hope. There is a prayer that opens chapter 3 in your life. Would you hear me? He said, remember. He said, I remember. He said, then I praise and then I hope. Hear that. I remember, I praise, and I hope. That's what he said when he started getting a little excitement. Now, it appeared to be short-lived because then he's got chapters 4 and 5 that are likened to the 1 and 2. But can I tell you, in the midst of it, in the middle of it, right in the middle of the worst possible scenario, God is going to let something spring up if I will do a couple of things. Remember, praise and hope. It's all birth first in repentance. He is right. I am wrong. But sometimes I have said, God, how could this happen? Why did this happen to me, to us? Why is this one spared and this one not spared? Why is it that two people in the same situation can have the same people praying for them and one goes this way and one goes that way? Why? Why God, why God in my life Am I dealing with these particular things that I deal with? Why? Why is it? The better question is probably this. Why are we not all consumed? We're all guilty. Truth. It's a miracle that we're here right now. 
It's not a matter of why did this happen to me. The question really should be, why has this not happened to all of us? Luke 13, listen to these verses. 1 through 5 of 13 of Luke. There were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans, that is, told Jesus, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. What a horrible thing to, to abuse this place. And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose you that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things? He said, Do you think they were great sinners and that's why they suffered what they suffered? I tell you, no. But except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Or those 18 upon, upon whom the tower in Siloam fell. There's 18 and a tower fell on them and slew them. Think you that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? Do you think this happened to them because they were sinners? That the tower fell on them? Do you think it was because they were sinners that these Galileans were killed the way that they were? He said, no, no, no. He said, but except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Jesus is saying here, it's a miracle of repentance that any are spared. The only reason that we are spared, the only reason that we're here is because of the miracle of repentance. He said, unless you repent, you'll all perish. So don't look at them and say, they must be great sinners. That's why this happened to them. They must be great sinners. That's why they happened to them. The truth of the matter is, we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The only thing that separates you is that somehow, somewhere in the midst of my lamentation, I got on my knees and I rent my clothes and I said, God, would you please, as I pulled my hair out of my head, God, would you please have mercy on me and forgive me of all of my selfishness and my humanity and my sinfulness and my pride. It's the miracle of repentance that leads us into an avenue of his presence. It's a miracle of repentance that leads to praise and ultimately to hope. I remember, I repent, I praise, I hope. My survival, hear me, my survival depends on my repentance and my praise. Oh, God, you might say, well, I don't have anything to repent of. You have to repent of thinking there's nothing to repent of. All right? Man, I don't know if you, but when I go to bed at night, God, please forgive me. Of anything I've said, done, thought, imagined throughout this day. If it's a sin of omission or commission. If it's something I've thought, whatever it is, please cleanse me. I don't want to go to sleep with anything. And then I say, God, would you please, and I know they got to pray for themselves, but I pray, God, would you please touch and cleanse my family and touch my family. My survival depends on my repentance. And Jeremiah understood that in the middle of lamentation. The reason that we're here is because we're not repentant. The reason that we're in this place is because we think we deserve what we really don't deserve. And my repentance leads to praise. Does it not? How many times have I been in tears and I lifted up and I begin to praise God, worship God? As a matter of fact, after you repent, you need to praise God. Right? There's been people, they, you know, I can't receive the Spirit of God. I can't pray through. Why? Because they constantly are down in, in repenting because they don't really believe God hears them. The reason you keep repenting of the same thing 150, 1,000 times is because you don't really believe He heard you the first time. 
I've dealt with young people before, traveling and preaching, that, man, they're just down. They feel like they've, they've blasphemed, they've sinned, and they, they just can't get through, and God doesn't hear them. And if, and if they'll do this, I, and I've told them many times, I said, you repented? Yes. I said, okay, you repented. Let me tell you something. God's forgiven you. And I said, how can you say that, preacher? Because the Word says it. He's quick to forgive. You repent, you're forgiven. Now what you need to do is lift your hand and start praising God. And I say, I don't feel like praising God. It's not about you feeling like praising God. You praise Him because of the fact that He just forgave you of something that would take you to hell. So you, be, you begin to praise God. So my remembrance leads me to repentance, leads me to praise. So I begin to praise God. I begin to, to magnify Him and glorify Him. And He speaks of praise in chapter 3. Psalms 42, 1 through 5, I want to share these verses. David said, as the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my meat day and night, while they continually say unto me, where is thy God? Here he is down and out, and they're saying, if you have a God, why is he not here now? Where is he? Na 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 boo boo, where's your God? He's not here. He's not helping you one bit. When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me. For I had gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God. You know what he said? I remember that time I went to church. Anybody? He said, I remember that time I went to church with the voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept holy day. And then he begins to speak to himself. It's not crazy. You need to talk to yourself sometime. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted in me? Why are you being quiet? Why are you cast down? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Let me tell you what we need. We need some yet praisers. People that says, I will yet praise him. Even when I'm in the midst of lamentation, I'm still going to lift my voice and say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Some of you in the midst of your lamentation, the way out is to say a prayer of repentance and then get on your feet and lift your hands and say, I will worship you in my darkness. I will worship you in my lamentation. In the midst of my lamentation, I will praise him. I will yet praise him. And... We have remembrance, repentance, praise that brings hope. The more I praise Him, the more I have hope. The more I praise Him, I enter into His presence where hope abides. As I praise Him, I enter into that place and something begins to happen. My arms aren't so heavy anymore. And I lift them a little higher. The shackles don't have me bound. And I hear them fall off. When I praise Him. When I praise Him. I said when I praise Him. When I praise Him. Something happens. And it opens the door to hope. Jesus is our hope. Our hope. We have someone that Jeremiah could only vaguely imagine. Jesus, the hope of the world. Jesus, the hope of my world. 
Jeremiah sees a glance, a glimpse of what we see in entirety. Because I want you to notice what he wrote here in chapter 3. I said in chapter 3. Some of you are living right in chapter 3. Sandwiched in between 1, 2, and 4, and 5. Can I, let me tell you what he says. Lamentations 3 and 28. I read this, but notice this. So when he says his mercies are always here, and we're not consumed because of his mercies. Notice what he said. He sitteth alone and keepeth silence. Because he hath borne it upon him. Leave it there just for a second. I'm sorry. Do you, anybody, can anybody understand this prophetic utterance and who he's talking about? So Jesus shows up in the pen of a man in the middle of lamentation. Because he's talking about Jesus. The one who opened not his mouth when he was persecuted. He's borne it. Upon him, he has borne our sins. Listen to me, please. In the midst of all of this lamentation, this man began to repent and to remember and to praise and to hope. And in that, he had a glimpse of Jesus. Verse, the next verse. He putteth his mouth in the dust, if so be there. Be, may be hope. Think of crucifixion, if you will. The next verse. He giveth his cheek to, to them that smiteth him. You remember that? This verse is used in the New Testament to speak of Christ. He is filled full with reproach. This is what he is saying. He is saying. In the midst of all this, I can see something. It's not very clear to the Old Testament prophets. They can't see it. They see through a glass darkly. But they're getting just a little shadow of Jesus. Isaiah said it this way. Isaiah 50 and verse 5. The Lord God hath opened mine ear. I was not rebellious, neither turned away back. I gave my back to the smiters and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. It's another prophet echoing even some of the same words of Jeremiah as they see Christ in a distance. And then Matthew writes it, how it's fulfilled in Christ. In Matthew 26 verse 65 the Bible says, then the high priest rent his clothes saying, he hath spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now ye have heard his blasphemy. What think ye? They answered and said, he is guilty of death. Then they spit in his face and they buffeted him. And others smote him with the palms of their hands saying, prophesy us thou Christ who is he that smote thee what I'm telling you is this in the midst of lamentation if you would repent and praise Christ is going to show up in the midst of your lamentation what makes our lamentation survivable is the presence of Jesus did y'all hear what I said? What makes chapters 1 and 2 and 4 and 5 survivable is the presence of Jesus. 
So in the midst of lamentation, right in the middle of it, he shows up. It may be ever so slightly. It may not be through full revelation to you. But in the midst of praise, he shows up. In the midst of your lamentation. We take our share. But he took our share and then all the rest. You see, he took upon himself all the sins. I can only survive because of him. So I will remember. I will repent. I will praise. And I'll have hope. Because I can see him in the midst of my pain. In the midst of your lamentation is Jesus. I want you to lift your hands right now with me. Singers, musicians are making their way. I want us to lift our voices to him in praise just a moment. I want us just to call on him right now. I'm telling you, the Lord spoke these words into my spirit last night and today. That in the midst of your lamentation, there's hope. We have hope. I don't know all that you deal with, but he does. I can't see it, fathom it, understand it, but he does. And if you would just praise him. Let's put this to action, if you don't mind. The first thing I'd like you to join me in doing. How about with your eyes closed, your head bowed. How about offering a prayer of repentance to God? Jeremiah said the reason that the city is solitary, the reason everything is dead and decayed is because we forgot about repenting. And our pride lifted us up to where we wouldn't repent. You can say God led them into captivity. The truth is they placed themselves there. So right now, would you pray it? Jesus, would you please forgive me? Would you forgive me of any pride? Thank you for joining us today. We hope you were blessed. For more information on our church, Pastor Donovan, or service times, please visit our website at golifepoint.com.